Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, they can catch us anywhere these days. They can catch us on our website, streaming on Facebook, lots of podcast platforms, you name it, they can hear your dulcet tones. How you doing this week, man? Did you fix your buttons? Everything working? Nah, are we streaming? We got it all rolling? It's we figured it out after five years? I don't know. No, definitely. Oh, you're not I sure. Okay. I need another five years to figure this all right. out. Well, how excited are you that this is Cowboys Eagles week? That's the thing. You told me you wanted me to start with a fun topic this week. <laughs> I said Eagles Dallas, and then I turned to you and I said, is that a fun topic? Eagles are in first place, right? They are your Okay. First well, how is that not fun? Uh, because it's where they are in the division. That division is. Okay. They're in They're in first place. It's a rivalry week. What more could you ask if you're an Eagles fan? Other, other than well, a 500 I'm, record or better. I'm going to bring on a Philly guy himself, the head coach of the Temple men's basketball, Aaron McKee, to start us off. Before we get to coaches versus cancer and these important topics, Aaron, you're a Philly guy through and through. What does Eagles Dallas week mean to you? Oh, man, that's big, man. That's big. You know, we sitting pretty at the top of the division. So, you know, my outlook on it all is, you know, once the playoffs start, hopefully the Eagles get that position. Everybody record is the same at that point. So we got some things we're working through, like, like you know, the Eagles, you know, everybody's working through this pandemic and trying to figure out the way, figure out a way to be at their best. So I wish them all the you know, best of luck and, you know, go beat them Cowboys. You know, you talk about everybody working through the pandemic and, and the work that you guys have done with Coaches versus Cancer. It's a little bit adjusted this year. You had the, the TV show that you did. But we've been having the coaches on to talk about the impact that the City 6 schools have really had on Coaches versus Cancer. You guys together have raised over $17 million. You've been involved as a player, now as a coach. Can you talk about what this means to you and, and why it's so important? Well, I mean, it means a lot because we, we get to impact not just um, people that's, that's fighting this uh, deadly disease on a local level, but we get to impact on a national level. Um, I just dealt with this um, disease you know, recently uh, with my mother. I just recently lost my mother a couple of weeks ago to uh, bone cancer, and it's difficult. It's difficult to see. But, you know, it really put things in, puts things in perspective for me and, and, and why so many are out here fighting and continuing try, to try to find a, a cure for the numerous um, amount of, of cancers that's out there. And they do a, a wonderful job. And it's just not the City Six guys here, but it's, it's coaches across the country and people across the country as a whole. And they do a wonderful job of, of you know, all hands on deck and trying to help everybody. Aaron, one of the things that people in the city are most proud of is, is that coaches like you and the other coaches that have been involved in coaches versus cancer, including the ones that have preceded you and Coach Dunphy and Coach Martelli, who we've talked mm -hmm. to in recent weeks, is that you all, you can fight on the court as hard as you do and then come off the court and come together for this cause. And it's what makes Philadelphia special. What's it been like for you to work with this fraternity of coaches off the court? It's, it's really just, you know, those guys are passing the torch down to myself and Ashley Howard and Jay Wright and, you know, all the other coaches that's involved. Um, 
and at some point it's it's going to be us where we're passing the torch down to you know to someone else and it's a way for us to be able to give back you know this this basketball game has given me so much um throughout my lifetime and and the one way that I could be able to give back is to use my position and, and use my voice to to be able to help with this cause Aaron, you've been involved in the community for a long time, having grown up here, played for the Sixers, played for Temple, now coaching Temple. You played under a legend in John Cheney, who was so involved in the community. What lessons did you learn by playing for John Cheney? Well, as a player, just learning how to be disciplined and learning how to be poised under duress. I think that's so important when you play in any sport. You know those those pressure moments that you don't want to crack under and and fold under. It, it takes mental stability and mental toughness, and and those are the things he taught us uh, day in and day out. Um, in terms of the community and in terms of people, you know what you put in is what you're going to get out. And he's always told me, and even through this pandemic, you know, reach out to your friends and see how everybody is doing. Help them out as much as you can. Use your voice and all your other resources just to to help people out because we all need it, whether it's, it's monetary, whether it's just an ear, whether it's a voice of, of reason. In all different facets of life, we need help, and, and that's the one thing he's always told me. You know, what you put into something is what you're going to get out of. You know, I joke with Jeff a lot. We talk about the impact that sports has on family, and my dad was a Temple grad, so I grew up watching mm -hmm. the Mark Bacon teams with him and then watching your teams with Eddie Jones out there on the court under Coach Cheney and, and those defenses. You got Mark Macon as an assistant now. You two ever get on the court and uh, challenge the athletes a little bit? <laughs> no, I think Mark basketball is done. You know, he had an Achilles injury a while ago, and, uh, you know, my legs is not quite where I need him to be at this point. But, you know, we, we, we talk trash to each other, but more so we talk trash to the players and said, you know, y'all pick y'all best two players and play us in two-on-two, two, and we jokingly do it. Uh, with those guys, but you know, Mark is Mark was a huge inspiration to me in my career. Just being a, a guy growing up in Philadelphia and just watching this phenomenon come from Saginaw, Michigan, and and just giving this program a shot in the arm. And you know, he come in as a McDonald's All American and 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 become All American in college, and just done a lot of wonderful things for this this to help grow this program. Being a Philly guy, I saw a quote from the former AD Patrick Graff. Uh, Patrick Graff, when you were hired, uh, he's a North. He's North Philadelphia. He's Philadelphia. I mean, he's the true Temple story. How do you use that to now sell the Temple legacy that that had the success it had? That you're trying to bring it back to that level again. Well, we we talk about family, we talk about academics, and we talk about team chemistry. But most important. Um, Getting the opportunity to play in the city of Philadelphia. I mean, this is the, this is to me is the basketball mecca where you have, you know, the Big Five or the City Six of teams that you know you you have the opportunity to play, play against. You know, in a ten mile radius, you get the opportunity to play against some story programs in LaSalle, story program in in St. Joe's, Villanova, Penn, and you can go down the list of of these programs, and we get a chance to do that you get a chance in the summertime to rub elbows with professional basketball players. You know, when those guys come and they use our facility and they play basketball, and if they're not playing here, they're playing at the South. They're not playing at the South. They're playing at Penn. So this is the basketball Mecca. So if you're not in season and you're not playing, you get a chance to 
go and play against the players in the summertime from LaSalle and all of the other surrounding schools, and you get a chance to rub elbows with professional basketball players. I mean, what better place do you want to be in, in, in Philadelphia? And it's in close proximity to New York, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., and you can get a train or you could take a bus and, you know, go visit these different places. And, you know, Philadelphia is centrally located. you got wonderful basketball. you got wonderful food, and you got passionate sports fans here. So it's a wonderful place to grow up and play basketball or start your career here. Well, you talk about rubbing elbows with professional basketball players. Uh, like like you, Dr. J was my favorite basketball player growing up. I read a story about how you used to pretend to call the Sixers and ask to do- speak to Dr. J. <laughs> yeah, I used to do it every day when I came home from school. You know, being naive, I would come home and I still remember the number in my head, 215-339-7676. I would come home and dial that number every day thinking that I was going to get one of those guys on, on the phone and just to talk to him. And that's how much I enjoyed watching those guys and watching the Sixers and all of those guys were really my favorite players. But, you know, Doc just, you know, he stood out the most and, you know, he was the guy and, you know, I just wanted to hear his voice and was foolish enough to think that somebody was going to pass him the phone and have him sit down and have a conversation with me. Okay. So, so at some point you play for the Sixers. At what point yeah. do you actually get to meet Dr. J? And what is that experience like for the kid that grew up just dialing the phone, trying to talk to him? Well, the, the funny part about it is I met him after I graduated from Temple. He was he was venturing into being a sports agent. And uh, he wanted to have a sit down uh, with me and talk about, you know, representation. And I was just in awe, you know, get a chance to sit down with Dr. J. And he's talking about, you know, being my agent. Now, here's a guy that I idolized as a kid growing up and watching him and watching his fascinating career. And really, how uh, he was one of the guys that helped transcend the, the NBA and, and make it cool and, and you know, to the, to the public viewers, um, not just on a national level, but on a global level. And then I get a chance to sit down and have lunch with him and talk about, you know, NBA and talk about what I want to do with my career. And and that was my introduction to him, and, and it was just it was just a, a surreal moment for me. And then you end up on the court for that team you dreamed of playing for, not just on the court, sixth man of the year, the year you went to the finals, playing with another player who transformed the game in Allen Iverson. What was that season like and the opportunity you had there? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, it was awesome. We was a, just, a, 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 just a good group of, of guys that enjoyed working and, got along well with each other and, and we all just had one common goal and that was to to win um a lot of winning came through you know our our star player and Allen Iverson and I thought that we complimented um his identity we complimented the guys that we had around him complimented his identity well and and again the one thing we all had the common goal that we had was just, just winning so we went out there and we practice hard and, and, you know, from practicing hard to translate it to playing hard in games. And, and that's the mindset that you want to have in anything that you do. If you practice hard, you're going to play hard and the game becomes easy for you. You know, he obviously uh, was a fan of yours at his retirement announcement after saying your name six times. He said, he was my teammate was on another level. It was more than just basketball with me and him. I made a million mistakes, but if it weren't for Aaron McKee, I had made two million of them. Uh, what was that relationship like uh, with AI on and off the court? And how did that help you as you now 
try to relate to today's players that you're bringing in who are probably in awe of the fact that you got to share a court with AI? Well, I mean, we, we're different, but we have a lot of things in common. You know, we're different basketball players, we're, um, but we enjoy playing cards together. Um, we enjoy playing video games together. You know, there's so many things. We enjoy cracking jokes. Um, just things when you really sit down and you get a chance to know somebody on a surface level, you learn a lot about them. And the one thing that's misunderstood about him is he's a, he's a good person. You know, he wears emotions on his sleeve. He has a heart of gold, and he would do anything for anybody. You know, as you guys have probably heard about a million stories about him and, and his, his friends that he hang out with and so many tried to get him to, you know, remove his friends and the guys that he grew up with, you know, why? And the one thing I always told him that I respected about him was he did things his way. He did things his way. And a lot of people will have a hard time standing up for what you believe in. He wanted to wear his, you know, his cornrows or whatever, which, you know, wasn't popular, but it's something that comes from our culture that, you know, and he wanted to show America a piece of our culture and, and how you do things. You know, he wanted to wear the baggy clothes. You know, it wasn't it wasn't stylish to some, but for him, it was a part of his his culture and the things that he liked to wear and the things that he he was comfortable in. And he's he was just always comfortable in his own skin. And I think that's what a lot of people lo- not liked about him, loved about him. You know, he was this little domino on a basketball court. And when you think about somebody dominating the game of basketball, you think it's this big, powerful, seven-foot, strong, you know, burly player. When you look out there and you hear Allen Iverson, it's this six-foot-one, fast, um, high IQ, you know, athleticism and grace along with it. That's what you saw out on the floor. It wasn't a seven-foot, big, strong guy. It was this six-one guy that just dominated the game of basketball on so many levels, you know. So that's what I respected him so much about is Allen always did things his way and was unapologetic about it. You know, you talk about athletes doing things their own way, um, especially this year. We're starting to see athletes even more uh, use their platforms in a very vocal, positive way. You're somebody that's done that for a long time. Uh, when you played for the Sixers, you rented out the Leacora Center, where the Owls play their home games to hold Thanksgiving food drives for the homeless. What what has it been like for you to be able to use your platform to benefit the city, and and how do you pass that along to the student athletes that you are dealing with now? It was. It was done for me. Um, if you use your platform in the right way, um, it bears the fruit of, of guys like myself. You know, I didn't have it all, you know, growing up. The, the resources that I need around me to help me become successful. But there were people who donated their time, donated their efforts and, and their resources um, to help me get to where I'm at in life and spend countless hours and just trying to mentor me through life. You know, I wasn't the easiest person to get along with and it took me some time to get it, but I got it at some point. And, and luckily, you know, the, the mentors of Bill Ellaby and John Harnett and 
Coach Cheney and countless others were patient enough to to wait for me to come around, and I came around, and you know, here I am now. I'm sitting in that position, and I get the opportunity to impact young lives and. The same lessons that I got from those guys and, and, and countless other people is the same thing that I want to give to to our you know our team. And the one thing I try to tell them is, look, you, you're going to live a lot more life than you will playing this game of basketball. And and you know, again, as I said earlier, you know what you put into it, what you put into the game of basketball is what you're going to get out of it. And the same thing goes for life. What you put into the game of life is what you're going to get out of it. So let's let's work hard. Let's outsmart them. Let's outwork them every day and, and fly low and stay quiet and, and just try to pull others up, you know, raise their level and just try to help others. And they will position themselves if, if they're not basketball players, if that's not their calling, and they're certainly going to be productive citizens and be successful at some other aspect of life. And that's how I try to raise them because that's what was what was done for me. You know, you mentioned being back on the court. It's obviously been a, a different type of year preparing to get back on the court got one of the best guards in the country and Nate Pierre-Louis foundation plus a tough front court. Uh, how you prepping for the season? What should we expect to see out there when you get back? Well, we're going to be young and, and um, Nate's not with our program anymore. He, uh, he's pursuing his uh, professional career. Um, so we're, we're going to be young. We have a lot of new faces here. Um, guys that were bringing in freshmen and, and some transfers and with a mix of some experienced guys that we have and Dre Perry and JP Mormon and Jake Forrester, who are three of our guys that saw significant, meaningful minutes last year. So it's going to be fun, you know, watching the growth of our young guys and watching our, you know, more experienced guys provide leadership for those guys out on the floor. So, you know, we want to play an up-tempo style of game. It's, which is the way the game of basketball is being played. And we're going to have to defend our tails off every night, rebound the ball. And, you know, that's going to give us the best opportunity to win basketball games um, every time we step on the floor. Well, Coach, we can't wait to see you guys get back on the court. Uh, and we wish you the best of luck in terms of the season and also what you're doing with Coaches versus Cancer. And thank you for everything you're doing, uh, developing some quality men in the program. Uh, best of luck to you and thanks for the time. All right. Thanks, guys. Jeff, again, another beyond quality coach that we get to talk to in this city. Uh, it's it just uh, the things that they do. You know, you mentioned a couple of things. We bring them on to talk coaches versus cancer, but um, that's just part of it is his meals from Philadelphia. He hasn't forgotten where he came from. And he is, he is and, Philadelphia. I mean, I, I don't, how many how many athletes do you know that you can say they are Philadelphia? Aaron has been, he grew up here. He dreamed of, of the things that Philadelphia kids dreamed about. He got to live out his dream playing for those Temple teams. He got to come back and be in an NBA Finals uh, for the Sixers, uh, his team. He got to meet Dr. J, who he used to call on the phone, hoping that it's, it, it, what, what is amazing to me is he still remembers the phone number from 40 years ago. So you were a Dr. J guy, and I know that from the time that we got to talk to Dr. J at, at one of the Sixers events. Yeah. Are you jealous of the fact that you never thought to call the Sixers and ask for him? It, it, it not one time ever crossed my mind to actually, because I just never crossed my mind that I would actually get through. Um, but I can relate to what he's talking about, as anybody who follows sports as a kid does. 
you know, and he got to live out meeting Dr. J and then Dr. J wooing him to try to, to bring him on as a client. So, and then on top of that, now he gets to go back and he, you know, he studied as a, as a student athlete under a legend in John Cheney. He then got to be uh, the understudy to Fran Dunphy. And now he's take, taken over a program like Temple and gets to continue to give back. And, and I, I really believe, I mean, listening to him, he's going to, re recruiting's not going to be a problem for him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who do you know? I, um, Alan Iverson. Okay. <laughs> that, that sounds good. It's, I mean, it, and I told you, you know, and I, I mentioned it to him, sports with families. I was a temple guy before I ever went to Rutgers just because that's who my dad rooted for. And mm -hmm. he had a, a VHS tape for the longest time of Temple, North Carolina, played at like the Atlantic City Convention Center in 1987. And we would watch the replay of that Mark Macon, Ramon Rivas team. And now for those players, they've got Mark Macon there with his knowledge under John Chaney. They've got Aaron McKee there with all of his contacts and knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, we we'll talk about what the Sixers are developing with the coaching staff. They've got a pretty good staff they're putting together there to try and appeal to some players and build that program back up to prominence. Well, here, look, if, if, you're, if you're a kid who's, who's 17, 18 years old and you go, hopefully they you know, don't have to just do Zoom recruiting, but if they get to the point of they come to the campus, what do you probably see when you walk into the Leacora Center in the athletic department? You're walking through and not you're not just seeing legends. Some of those legends are going to be your coaches, right? So Aaron McKean's there, Mark Macon's there. They've got to be all over the walls there. In fairness, we know what you see because we went and tried out for the blue coats there. So we yes. know what you see. Yes, we did. We walk into the course center. <laughs> By the way, can I call myself out? Um, I'm not going to let this pass because it happened. What? We prep for this show a lot. Yeah. I hate it when we have wrong things in there. Yeah, well, I, 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 I know. He was very nice about it, not to call us out, but yeah, it happens, right? Yeah, I'm sure we'll hear from the Temple Sports Department. We'll, uh, we'll get sure it wrong next time. We yeah. We'll get it uh, right, though, but we try to bring you accurate information. Back well, yeah, but, but see, the, so, okay, so, but this is another situation with COVID. So this is, the, he was, he was one of those guys that without getting an agent, put his name out there. And the question was whether he was going to come back or he wasn't going to come back. And you just kind of, with everything that's been going on, it's not an excuse, but with everything that's been going on with the NBA and the draft moving around and guys deciding if they're going to come or they're going to go back, it, it really has been a mess as to what's going on. The NBA draft is now less than a month away, right? First, and November 18th. He, well, yeah, so it's three weeks away. Yep. And, you know, it's so, and you just... It has just been a jumbled mess. Nobody knows who, where anybody's going, where anybody's coming from. You've you've had to watch tape. You really haven't had to have a lot of in-person interviews. I don't know if they are starting to do in-person interviews, but hey, at least for the Sixers, we got a whole bunch of people that can interview people now that we've brought in a full staff, a front office. There since the last time we talked, we have Daryl Morey in here. I mean, it it's been a crazy week from that side of things. It's been a crazy month for this team. A month ago, mm -hmm. Brett Brown was the coach and Elton Brand was the general manager and people were saying Josh Harris is steering, steering the ship. Look, even last week I was saying, who's making the decisions now in the front office? Well, the answer is a lot of people, apparently. Daryl Morey's here on a five-year deal from Houston after he resigned there. Elton Brand will remain the general manager. Daryl Morey will be the head of basketball operations. They have the other people that they brought in underneath Elton Brand from the. What does it mean? 
You know, you see me waving my hands up in the air because I, I okay, so I've been dying to ask you this question because I've asked you this before. I've asked some of our guests who are Sixers insiders who know this before. Okay, we didn't know beforehand who was making the Sixers decision, although it was, although it was suggested to us Doc Rivers was going to be making those decisions. Well, now, now it's going to be who's making the decision? Now it's going to be collaborative. I think you, you really believe that. You believe Elton I, Brand, you believe Elton Brand has any say now at this no, point I didn't when it comes to play. I didn't say he was a part of the collaboration. I said that Daryl Morey, I said it's collaboration. I think it's Daryl yeah. Morey, Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers. Uh-huh. Who's going to be making the decision that Elton Brand as the general manager is going to say yes. Yeah. So so now titles don't matter anymore. Because growing up and everything I always knew, the general manager was the one who was making the player the player decisions. Have you seen the Phillies? Titles are irrelevant in this city, Jeff. The we Phillies? For, the yeah, what we, are you going to the Phillies for? We just give people titles. Andy McPhail's yeah. out there talking today. Who knows if he's going to Don't Don't up. start with me with Andy McPhail. I don't, I just, I don't, I right, don't need to hear. I'll wait till we talk to Anthony. Yes. Right. To set you off after that. Mm-hmm. But okay. How do you feel right now? I know you're not sure who's making the decisions, but as they need to make changes to their roster, mm-hmm. they clearly will have people who have done that before. Daryl Morey made 77 trades. I think you mentioned to me before the show, the only team that made more trades in that time was? In a shorter period of time was the Sixers. Yeah. Exactly. And so, but, but if you look at the, the one thing about Daryl Morey to realize, because I think a lot of people here will focus on that he built this small ball team. He built this small ball team because that's what his coach wanted to do. If Daryl Morey's been there for a while, Daryl Morey was involved back in the Yao Ming days for Houston. What Daryl Morey did is he did a lot of trades for draft picks, though, moving around. And if you analyze the draft picks that he got versus the ones he gave up and the players that came in those, he did significantly better than the teams that drafted those draft picks for the other side. And that for the Sixers now is something that's important for building pieces if they keep the core together for building around the core. The question is, is whether or not he's going to keep the core and what he's going to be able to add to that core with the limited amount of cap room that they have. Did you enjoy the immediate speculation of how he will bring James Harden here? Uh, well, look, I don't know how it can even that happen works. that he brings it here unless somehow you do Josh Richardson um, and somebody else. You have to yeah, make I, look, man, I, it's beyond me to try to do the math to figure out how the pieces work, but it would also involve draft picks. And yeah. so the, the question is, is whether that can possibly happen. I've also yeah. heard the possibility of Rajon Rondo and whether he's a fit. I don't see how he's a fit. He's a guy who can distribute. Well, we got Ben Simmons who can distribute. We need somebody who can shoot. James Harden actually makes more sense. We need shooters. I'm not going to get the trade speculation, all of that. Yeah, but but here, here's the problem. Since, since well, you, you brought it up, though. You can't say I'm not going to well, get into it. You brought it up. So, so ne- since you now brought it up, here's the question. Can James Harden come here and Joel Embiid be happy? Because I think the answer to that is no. Okay, everybody would have thought that Joel wouldn't have been happy with Jimmy Butler here, and yeah. they made that work. So I'm not going to say no. No, they didn't. He run. he was here for half a season. I think that Joel and Jimmy would have worked out. No, I don't. You, I, you, I, I don't think so because Joel wants to be the guy. 
I don't even think he's happy with Ben Simmons here. I think it wants it to be him and a bunch of role players. You think he wants it to be his team. If James Harden comes here, the top selling jersey going out that you'll see in the stands is James Harden. It won't be Joel Embiid. You confident in the staff that Doc Rivers is bringing in? You got Sam Cassell on the bench now, longtime Pacers assistant Dan Burke, who I enjoyed. And, and, and Dave Jordan. Did, did you see uh, Joel Embiid troll uh, Dan Burke? He no. found an old tweet. Uh, after a Pacers game talking about how he hates losing to the Sixers because Joel Embiid gets to play by his own rules. So Joel Embiid tweeted at him, that now we can play by our own rules together. <laughs> that's, that's very touching. But, doesn't that, but yeah. doesn't that just kind of tell you about Joel that he's got, a troll. That, he, that he thinks about these things? He's a troll. He okay. likes to get a reaction from people. His Twitter handle is now Joel Troel Embiid. That's what he says in it. Uh, oh, any boy. concern the NBA reports 10% loss, $8 billion? Is that just posturing for next season already? Well, well just, just remember what, what I asked you when you told me about that beforehand. I don't what know. What did I ask? Huh? I don't know. Did they, were they profitable still? Probably. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, well then I'm not going to cry for them. If they still made money, I'm not going to cry about how much they made. You have concerns, that- though, that it takes the luxury tax down because – if if they lose revenues, it would take mm-hmm. it could potentially take it down almost a hundred million dollars, meaning that every team would be in over the luxury tax. So they'd have to figure out some way to change that, correct? Well, you can't you can't operate your league by saying we're going to lower the luxury tax so everybody's paying tax because that doesn't make any sense because you're 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 paying the tax that essentially then goes to the teams that are kind of smaller markets, right? Well, if everybody's paying the tax, where is the money going? It doesn't make sense to lower the tax to the point that all every team is paying a tax. So it, 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 to me, just remember, if, this, if the NBA starts saying things like that, it's just them complaining because they want you to feel bad about it. The bigger issue with the NBA is going to be what happens with regard to when they start the season. Because you now have this situation where the NBA wants to start on Christmas, which is is the Springer theory, and then you have players that are coming out, they don't want like, like Brogdon, who are saying no, the players want to start on MLK Day. We'll see what they end up doing. We'll be joined in a minute by Anthony Fontana, the Union. Get into Eagles Dallas after that to end the show. Jeff, it was a huge week for the Union. We'll ask Anthony about it. I mean, they blew out Toronto FC. That was their, just their offense has been incredible. I mean, they have been an explosive team this season, and it's just impressive to see how many guys, including Anthony Fontana, that have been able to score on this team. The question is whether or not the defense will continue because their goalie has been all world. And now we have a situation where it's unclear how whether he's going to be back and when he's going to be back. So at the end of the game in the 76th minute after they after the win over Chicago, uh, as they remain still undefeated at Subaru Park, which is huge for where they're going with the playoffs, hopefully. Andre Blake hurt his hand. He got it caught in the net uh, and hit the post. He has a fracture in it. They're saying that they're hoping it's not season ending. So we'll see. The interesting thing with how the schedule works out is – that there are two remaining games for each team. Mm-hmm. The regular season ends November 8th, but the postseason doesn't start until November 20th because of the FIFA window. 
So you could have it that the playoff games don't start till the end of November for the union. Right. And if that's the case, you get a month to try and recover from the fracture. I don't know if that's enough time for him well, to recover. Well, wait. So, so if they don't start until, until the end of November, beginning of December, when does this end? If, if you play it out and they make it to the finals. They haven't confirmed specific dates. Uh, November, 29th, November 20th is the, is the earliest they can start after the FIFA window. First postseason games will be play-in contests for the number seven and 10 seeds with the rest of the conference taking the field a few days later. So you're talking almost December before the union will probably have a game after this break, because if they finish in first place, they're going to be waiting to see who wins these playing games. So my, my, the reason I ask you the question is, is it, or is it definite that, that they'll be able to hold on to Brendan until the end of the playoff run? Is my it, I, it was he was going to stay with the team till the end of the season. And re, start okay. So regardless of when that end of the season is, that was my understanding. Okay. Well, yeah. that's, I mean, that, that's a good thing. I mean, this team has, has accomplished so much, but we all want to see more. I mean, this, this is the, the Philadelphia team now. That's a, I know we joke that the Eagles are in first place and they are, uh, and it's the NFL, but the fact is the team to follow right now, the team to like jump on board. If you aren't on board is the Philadelphia union. They, they are fun to watch. They have, great guys their coach is great their front office is great and they have the best record in the mls yeah they're the hottest team in philadelphia and uh, that's for sure we'll we'll wait uh with anthony to jump on they did have a we won't ask him about this but they did have a covid scare this week jose martinez looks like he's going to be out with covid after going to the international play i saw jim Curtin say that's not the phone call you want to get the night before a game and so they had to make some some lineup changes and, and we'll see when he comes back Jeff, why don't we go and talk some football while we wait to get the soccer? You know, we talked COVID. Um, college football got some some COVID challenges right now. Their biggest name player, Trevor Lawrence, now out with COVID. Uh, they've got games again this week that are being canceled for COVID. Wisconsin has at least 16 cases. Up, oh, We'll leave it there. We've got Anthony on the line. So we'll go back to our college football conversation. Why don't we flip back to the soccer conversation? Anthony Fontana, union midfielder. Thank you so much for giving us a few minutes on the show today. For sure. I'm happy to be here. Oh, can't hear you just yet. We'll get you up live in one second. He was only giving Hello? us that little bit of time. Yeah. That, that's it. <laughs> Mike, if you can just let Hello? me know in the chat. when, you when Anthony, yeah. There we go. We got you, Anthony. How you doing today, man? Uh, I'm doing great. How about you guys? Uh, we're fantastic. We get to watch you guys every every time you're on TV. I was just saying to Jeff, uh, you guys are the hottest team in Philadelphia and fun to watch. You're your guy that's on top of the world. You turned 21 on October 14th, celebrated by scoring a goal. Uh, what has this season been like for you? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy year, um, obviously, for everyone. 2020 has just been pretty wild, but uh, for us, uh, you know, we, we stuck to it. We stuck stuck uh stuck with our guns, stay professional and uh now it's really paying off. It's been uh a fun year and now hopefully uh coming towards the end we'll we'll get a trophy to to remember it by. One of the, the things that seems fun, at least looking from the outside, is watching you guys grow up together. Uh watching all of the homegrown talent 
kind of make its way to the MLS and building this team to where they are, which is the team with the most points in the MLS. What has it been like for you to go through the homegrown program and to bond the way that you seem to have with, with your other homegrown uh, teammates? Oh, it, it's really awesome. It's, it's probably the best thing about, about this whole thing. Um, <laughs> it, it's amazing because, you know, like you said, we, we have grown up together since, uh, since I was about 13, 14, I've been on the same team with uh, three or four of the guys. So, so seeing each other go through good times and bad times, you know, and always being there for, for each other is, uh, it's something that's truly special. And, it'll stick with me forever. Uh, just the brotherhood and the friendship that you create. Um, and yeah, it, it's even better when, when we're all playing really well and having a lot of success at uh, the professional level. All right. So uh, I'm going to ask you the hard, hard hitting question. Now of, of all the guys that you've gone through this program with, of, of this group of, of talent, young talent, uh, if you only could take one in an Island with you for a year, which one you taken? <laughs> Oh God, that see that that is a tough question because <laughs> I love them all. I, I really love cute. them all. Um, now, if we have to survive, or uh, if we have to survive together, like we have to hunt our food, I'd probably take Mark just because uh, you know um, Mark has a lot of gadgets and and a lot of a lot a lot of things that I think would help, but. Um, you know what? Yeah, I'll just stay with Mark. Just I, I think he's probably the best one to be uh, on an island with. See, Jeff, he didn't go with who he's going to have the best time with. He was going to go who is going to be the best helper for him there on the island. You know, it's it's amazing. You've been sorry. Go ahead, Anthony. Let me just say, I, I've had I would have an amazing time with Mark, but <laughs> I was just I just know that that uh, he you know we would uh we would get through it. Me and Mark, we've uh case you know you don't know uh me and mark we've known each other since we we're about eight or nine um so and we we carpooled up in the academy for for many years so so yeah uh it's it, i know we we would do great on island together you know you mentioned some of the the soccer when you were younger you obviously started in in newcastle delaware when you were four but I read a story. It was something that happened when you were six, watching Italy win the World Cup in 2006 that really kind of inspired you. Can you talk about that and how it still impacts you to this day, watching that game with your family? Yeah, so um, so uh, let, me, let me bring you back a bit. I was six years old, um, watching Italy in the 2006 World Cup. Uh, as you may know, I am Italian. Um, and obviously I wanted them to win and as the game goes on and they win I uh I had I mean there was so much happiness and joy and pride that I experienced just from that that game and watching it I saw my family members and everyone so happy and and I was like wow you know obviously I was playing soccer at that time and I just said to myself I want to do this for the rest of my life just uh if i could bring that type of joy and uh, happiness to people that i don't even know um around the world that would be the best feeling in the world and uh you know um a, a few years later uh now i'm you know i'm at a professional level and uh it, it 
that if I ever get down on myself, that's kind of the moment I look to and um, think of that kind of still drives me forward and inspires me because, you know, that that's kind of the core of, of why I do this. You know, you talked about the, the, the long carpool rides. Um, one of the things that the people seem to forget is, is how much family invests uh, their time in this. And you, you, from what I've heard, you have a very close family relationship, including a younger brother who appears to idolize you. Uh, what has it been like for you to go through this and be a local guy and your family to be there for the successes that you're now having? Oh, yeah. My parents, uh, my parents, my grandparents, uh, aunts, uncles, everyone has played a, a huge role in my development and in my career. Just, I like you said, I, I am very close with my family, um, still live at home. Um, but all the sacrifice and everything they've put into, my, into me and my career, um, it, it's, it is amazing just what uh, – how, how much that really drives me forward. Um, and yeah, you know, my, my little brother, uh, again, everyone says they, they play the sport for, for their family and this and that. And of course, you know, you do ultimately I do it. I do it for, for them, do it for myself. But, um, any time that I have success, it, it's a win for the whole family. It's a win, you know, for, for everyone. It's a, it is, it's like a, my team outside the team. And uh, yeah, my family. Every time they're they're at the games, uh, and you know, I score or if I play well, they're they're proud of me no matter what. So um, I'm just happy that I can be this close to them, and and that they can be a part of uh, this part of the journey. So does the Fontana family get to sit in the Sons of Ben section? You see, they uh, they just want to sit anywhere. They just want to watch the games. They love it all, but uh, but they they definitely do. They love the Sons of Ben. They love the energy they bring, and of course, all of us as a as a team, we love it. You know, uh, you've been able to move through the system with Coach Curtin at, at different levels. He's somebody who obviously knows you well. I, I saw a quote from him. He said, "The word that often comes to mind when he watches you is fearless." What is it that you want to be known for as a player out there on the field? Because we're obviously watching that TV cheering you on, just like you were cheering the Italian team on in 2006. Uh, what do you want to be known for? Um, yeah, I, I just want to be known as a, a really good player and someone that that fans and uh, and everyone enjoys watching, uh, whether whether that's on the ball, just playing the game. Uh, or if that's, you know, a celebration after a goal. Um, I just want to be someone that, that entertains people and that does ultimately bring them some sort of happiness or inspiration when I play. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's that's the best thing to be remembered by, just, you know, on, on the field, a good player, and, uh, and just, I mean, entertaining to say, you know, that I, I would say that that's probably it. You mentioned the sons of Ben and the impact that they can have. This has been an odd year. You've played in front of empty stadiums and now you're starting to get some fans back. What's it like to have them back in that atmosphere and how challenging was it to play when they weren't there? Yeah. Now, uh, now that we have fans back, uh, it, it's so much better than, 
when we didn't have any fans. But uh, but again, our team we we stayed very professional and focused. So whether there's there's no one in in the whole stadium and it's just the eleven players against the other eleven players, or if the the stadium's packed, then it, it doesn't really change anything. We just have one uh, one goal in mind, and that's to win every game. But um, the fans, now that they're coming back, it, it does play a, a big role. It, it bring, brings more of an atmosphere, which which is awesome. And uh, yeah, and I, I just I'm happy that they are back. As you close in on the end of the season and the beginning of the playoffs, what are you most looking forward to? Um, I, I'm most looking forward to that kind of my first experience at in uh in the playoffs and hopefully like, like i said i i uh, we want to bring home that mls cup um that's ultimately the goal from from day one when we were getting our our physicals um back in january to so um december you know that that's the goal so hopefully we can uh we can uh go forward and get as far as we can and if that is lifting the trophy then that's just going to make it 10 times better. What did it mean to you guys before we let you go uh, to beat Toronto the other night? Uh, they're obviously, you're pushing them for, for first in the league. They, they come in and, and kind of blow their doors off a little bit at 5 nothing. How, how special was that to this team to, to maybe make a point to the league about who you are? Um, that game, it meant, it meant pretty much everything. That, that's how every game is, just like the next one, and then the next one after that. Every game means the most to us at that moment, and uh, yeah, we were, that was the first place game, and we we came in and we showed showed the league in Toronto what we have, and again, we we might be seeing them later in playoffs, and um, obviously, it's going to be a tough game anytime we play them. Uh, that night, we we handled business pretty well to say the least. And, uh, yeah, now, now hopefully people in the league kind of start giving us more respect, but if they don't, we'll, uh, we'll just have to show them why they, they need to respect us when, when their time is, uh, is, is in front of us, I guess. Yeah. We're enjoying you going out there and taking the respect, even if they're not giving it to you, we wish you continued success like you're having this season and, and the push the playoffs and the experience and, uh, Hope you get to enjoy this all with your family because that's a fun story too. So thanks so much for giving us the time and look forward to seeing you out there doing some great things. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Jeff, uh, to talk to the homegrown talent, those stories are fun. Carpooling with Mark McKenzie as a kid and now to watch these guys as stars of the team, you know, leading the way of, of what is a resurgence of the union to a place that they haven't really been before. They're, they're a win or two away from winning the supporter shield as the top team in the league. It, Toronto and Columbus both lost after the union won the other night as a hard victory for the team against Chicago, but they won the game. They've got two games left. They're three points clear right now. That's a place that this union team has not been before. The process was done right and it's paying dividends and you hear it with, with every guy that, that we have on this, this show. I mean, these guys have, put it all together they are a true team and they have all the components there to take this to the next level we saw it last year when they made the playoffs and started to win there 
this is a team that I told you before the season started. This is a team that could be that good. I, I honestly didn't think that they were going to be in a position two games from the end of the season that they were going to have the most points in the MLS. But you could see the talents there and you could see the bonding. You hope Andre Blake's okay. Um, we'll see what happens. They play on Sunday. They get an extra day in between games. Probably a good thing they don't have to play on Saturday because the injuries. Uh, we'll leave the union there, but we'll keep following them. Let's hop back to college football, and then we'll go to some pro football with the Eagles Dallas. Um, I was mentioning to you some COVID problems in college football. Wisconsin's quarterback and 16 people at least have COVID. That game's been canceled. Trevor Lawrence is out for this week's game. With well, well, hold on, but don't don't glance, don't gloss over this whole Wisconsin thing because the Wisconsin thing is bigger than the Trevor Lawrence thing because of the rules in the Big Ten. So you can't play for 21 days, I believe, is the rule in the Big Ten. So you're talking about whether is Wisconsin even going to be able to get back on the field with as many players and coaches that have tested positive. The rules down south appear to be a whole different thing with Nick Saban supposedly now having a false positive is the story that they're going with. And, and Trevor Lawrence, who they're sitting there trying to figure out, can they say out loud that his symptoms were earlier than Wednesday so that they can get him in in time to play against Notre Dame next weekend? I mean, it, it is amazing to see how the different conferences have handled this differently before they started the season and how they're continuing to handle this. And as much as people want to get frustrated by what the Big Ten did, the Big Ten took a stand and said, hey, and the Pac-12 too, we're going to make sure that these players are kept safe. And they're sticking to their guns. They're not, except for Nebraska. Who Nebraska, just play any football team that will get on the field. And it's yeah, not allowed. Literally, Nebraska wants to. So Nebraska, it's not their fault that the, the game was canceled, although people in Nebraska seem to think that this is some grand conspiracy against them. But then they decide they're going to go out and schedule just on their own. Go find a team that's played one game this year that I think is playing in the spring. And it, in Chattanooga and said, we'll pay for your tests and you just come here and play football when they agreed to a, a conference set of rules. I mean, how badly does Nebraska want to get out of the conference? So and bad. how quickly, as I mean, you and I are both Big Ten guys. How quickly do you want them out of the conference? See ya. Yeah. Speaking of Big Ten guys, I was never a Big Ten guy because Rutgers wasn't in the Big Ten, but Rutgers got their first oh, but they are. in now. since like 2017, Jeff. They went on the road. They beat Michigan State. I was so worried to text you during the game and be confident as it went on. They had forced seven turnovers. <laughs> that obviously won't happen every week. But somebody's interested in seeing them because they got moved to FS1 at 3.30 to play Indiana, who you can talk about whether they should have won or lost against Penn State. Right. And then I don't know whether I'm going to want to see this game, but they were flexed to Saturday night in two weeks against Ohio State in the horseshoe. And I don't know what's going to happen there, but as a Rutgers fan. Would you, would you like me to tell you what's going to happen there? No, don't let me okay. be surprised. All right. And, but in terms of raising, will the, you be surprised? Well, no, not okay. Really. All right. Okay. But in terms of raising the profile of the program, uh -huh. John couldn't ask for more to start the season there. I mean, they went on the road. They, they dominated from start to finish in that game. They, and, I, they and I'm going to tell well. you there's, there's a reason that uh, D'Antoni left that program. 
you know, <laughs> let me have a win. Okay, we're not all Michigan. We don't all get. Wait, to- wait, 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 wait. They don't exactly have a bunch of wins lately either. So I'm, I'm not. It's not because of Michigan. It's because of Rutgers. Let's just focus here. And it's Rutgers. So Rutgers yes, you can play Michigan later this season as well. Yes, but but uh, you beat a Michigan State team that is is down and out as can be. So yes, it's a Big Ten win, and and kudos to you. And and as Mike has uh, let us know, you blew it. Because you I know, didn't I with start song. with the fight song. And well, now the question is, when are you going to be able to do that? I was worried that Aaron McKee was going to be on right at the start. And so I yeah. was playing the Rutgers fight song while the Temple guy was on. and He would have laughed. It would rain. And, <laughs> no, I didn't want to have well, that. So the question is, who, who actually knows what the Rutgers fight song is outside of Rutgers? Look, Carly Lloyd would have known that song if I would have played it. So See? Like, so that's two weeks that you could have played the Rutgers fight just, song acknowledge that this show that we do every week is a series yeah. of missed opportunities by me <laughs> let's get to eagles dallas we've got six minutes left before we get speaking off. of missed opportunities for the first place in the worst division in football uh dallas is a mess jeff they make the eagles look like a healthy great team right now yeah and even and, and jerry jones is is uh losing his mind apparently He's getting snippy with his talk show station. Yeah. Would you like it if Jerry Jones came on and got snippy with you? Oh, I would love it. You would I would absolutely I would absolutely you make that love your it. ringtone. Would you would you like me to see if I can set that up? Yes, if he's interested in joining us, we can talk about it with him. Sure. Uh, Andy Dalton in concussion protocol, doubtful. Uh the Cowboys traded like their whole defensive line this week. They traded Everson Griffin. They cut Don Terry Poe, the defensive tackle. They said he was too heavy. They cut cornerback Daryl Worley. So what does so what does that tell you? They're a mess. Right. Like so what, so so, so you we talked about before the show. We talked. We were talking about how people in Philadelphia always think the sky is falling. Right. So you you just described a series of events. The Cowboys were already a mess. They're they're a second starting quarterback and Andy Dalton's in the concussion protocol. They traded off their whole defense. And so what does that tell you? What it should tell you is the Eagles are going to win, but we're in Philadelphia. So what is likely going to happen? Okay, I, I do think the Eagles will win, though. <laughs> this is the first time I've actually felt confident they're going to win in weeks because uh, Danucci will be the quarterback for the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, and, an, and an entire city just went, who? Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, that, that's an opportunity missed in terms of fans in the stadium to, to kind of rattle somebody. But look, mm-hmm. I mean, Dallas, the more of a problem for Danucci is the offensive line for Dallas, they've got as many injuries as the Eagles have had. So they're going to have an, an undrafted rookie going up against Brandon Graham, a well, rookie round pick going up against Fletcher Cox, and either a bad veteran in Irving or a converted right guard blocking Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat. So if so, the Eagles defensive line doesn't have a good game, I don't know when they're going to have it. All right, so I'm going to ask you, can Danucci run? Because he's going to need to a lot. And, 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 if Dal- and here's the other question. If Dalton can't play, who's the backup for the Cowboys? I don't know who Danucci Do they have a fourth quarterback? Like, what do they do? Not that, not that we're going to care, but what do they do? So my frustration will be um, Miles Sanders is out again and the Eagles probably won't run the ball. They've got Jalen Rager coming back and I think that they'll pass a lot 
this week, I think you'll see some four wide receiver sets that they try to go with finally because Rager's in the game, but Rager and Hightower on the outside. I don't, but, I don't agree with oh, you. I think that they'll pass early. And then I think if they get a big enough lead, I think then they hand it over to Boston Scott. I hope because I, Dallas's defense is ranked 32nd in rush yards per game, mm-hmm, 31st in rush yards per attempt, 30th they're tied for rushing touchdowns allowed, 32nd in rushing first downs, and tied for the most 20-yard runs allowed and the most 40-yard runs allowed. And yet I will get a text from you at some point early on Sunday going, could they possibly lose this game? I'm worried. Garrett Gilbert, thank you, Mike Vito, on the other side of the glass, is the backup QB for Dallas on Sunday. If Ben like, is the starter. Yes, it sounds like a future star in the NFL. Sixth round pick in 2014. Uh, are you surprised <laughs> with all that we hear about protecting quarterbacks in the NFL yeah. that Andy Dalton, there was no additional punishment for the hit on him where he had already given himself up and was sliding feet first? What about last night? Last night's game, Teddy Bridgewater knocked out on a hit from Charles Harris – it well, was no, was he, he wasn't knocked out because he stayed in the game. Well, knocked out of the game. And, right. and for Harris, a short time. Harris was ejected mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, you saw basically Temple there. You had P.J. Walker with Matt Rule and Robbie Anderson yep. on the field trying to make connections. <laughs> but I mean, I'm surprised that the NFL hasn't taken more we action. USAA insurance for veterans like I didn't Martin. see an additional fine for the hit against Andy Dalton. I don't know what they're going to do for the hit against Teddy Bridgewater, but first you had an attempted trip and then you had a late hit on the neck. And I'm not trying to say I'm fans in, you know, a fan of some of these quarterbacks and the teams that they're on. But if the NFL is going to be consistent about protecting QBs, they got to be consistent about it. These were blatant hits. Well, the NFL's got bigger problems, which is whether or not they're going to be able to play from week to week. I mean, every, every week it's something as, as a Giants fan, I could tell you the entire offensive line apparently is, is sitting there waiting to see if they can play. And I can tell you the Giants might be better if they had no offensive line play. Basically what happened to the Raiders last week, Mm -hmm. their whole OL in, in quarantine up until game time and then still went and played a game. It's, it's just the season gets crazier and crazier by the week. Uh, we got 30 seconds. We didn't even get to talk about the World Series and Justin Turner coming back on the field without a mask after having COVID. I, I, I could sum it up. One of the most selfish things I have ever seen a player do in team sports, ever. That next to his coach who had recovered from cancer without a mask. That's yes. going to be the last word this week. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.